Yes, Santa Cruz. Welcome to the Cannabis Connection. I'm your host, Christopher Carr. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Santa Cruz Cannabis Talk Radio. I hope you had a beautiful week. Happy August. And I hope you're staying cool. And we're very excited to discuss preserving the legacy of, of small craft farmers, applying female voices in cannabis and how they can carry that industry forward. I'm very excited to learn more about working with legendary hip-hop artists and their contributions to the cannabis industry with our guest this evening, Anique Goldsmith, Black Market Group founder. Very excited to have her and welcome her to the show. Welcome to the Cannabis Connection. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Can you tell the people where in the world are you joining us this evening? Uh, I'm up in Geyserville. I recently moved down to be a little bit closer to the whole rest of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. How do you like the move? It's wonderful. I definitely miss the Redwoods. I miss, you know, Southern Humboldt and that larger community. But um, other than the constant threat of near death by fire, I'm, it's really lovely here. Yeah, I know. Wow. I'm glad you're safe, and I'm very excited to have you on the show. And can you speak to uh, how did this plant, you know, how did this plant and growing in this relationship with cannabis, how did that manifest in your life? Oh, man. You know, I, I love hearing these from everybody because it's always so almost random for a lot of people, and yet it's such a meaningful yeah, thing. Sure. For me, um, I ended up in Shelter Cove not knowing that I was in Humboldt County. And I met some folks, and for once in my life, I just kind of went, you know what? This feels good, and I'm going to let the tide pick me up and carry me away. And that was, you know, almost 10 years ago now, and uh, wow. it's uh, it's been a significant change in my life. Yeah, absolutely. It is, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, Shelter Cove, too. What a wonderful place to end up. I know. <laughs> it was really wonderful. But just uh, it's, it's, it's so meaningful, right, finding this community, finding this, like, you know, we talk about, like, women in the industry, but finding this thing that's this true meritocracy at, at times where you're making something that's concrete and, and real and measurable and, and a function of hard work and that that hard work isn't gendered, it, it, it was really significant for me. Um, you know, being around legacy operators and folks who had been in the space since, like, the 60s and 70s and 80s yeah. and having them happy to have me there because I worked hard was it seems like such a, a simple thing, but it, it, it was so significant and meaningful to me. Well, so it sounds like you were blessed to kind of learn the chops and, and learn the craft in this uh, Emerald Triangle amazing and legacy community near Shelter Cove. Can you speak to those early days and what 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 kind of work? You said you worked hard. Were you working on the farm or what? what how did the roots begin? Uh, I, like many people, started as a trimmer. Sure. Yeah, um, likewise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like like many people, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can make decent money doing this. And, you know, for me, uh, that, that was great. Um, but I saw instantly that I wanted to have a bigger place in this industry. And I, I really treated my early time in the space. Uh, like uh, when I was explaining to my parents why I'm suddenly living in my car in the in the woods, uh, that I'm going to treat this like a master's degree, is that there are no other place that you can learn these skills like this. Um, it's such a apprenticeship style anyway. There's no formal education for it, and that this is the closest thing to that. And so uh, that was that's at least how I told my parents what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Seemed to work. Seemed to work. It's true. Yeah, the best way is to grow, right, or to be a part of a farm and be be oh, present doubt. for the, all the stages of the life cycle. Yep. Yeah, and to understand, I mean, that's you, you see it reflected in our corporate cannabis world, right? Like the companies right. that are doing well. I mean, the the, the companies that are doing well. A lot of them, you know, it's hard out here right now for everybody. But the companies that are doing well from the smaller level all the way up to the big corporate cannabis, quote, unquote, have an attachment to the culture, to the original culture, to the root of the thing. It's why you can compare MedMen to cookies and see the huge difference, right? Yeah. Is that there's something authentic in cookies that wasn't present in MedMen, and that's why they struggled. 
because they viewed it as a corporate endeavor. Or even locally, you guys have come to Canada, right, out there in Santa Cruz? Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, those yeah. guys have been around since 2.15 days, and they, they put out something that is authentic. It's authentic to the culture. Yeah, yes, staying true to the roots, and in many ways, that's what... That's why we're here is that, yeah, you're so right, that that legacy culture was the reason Prop 215, the Santa Cruz piece to that story is amazing. Um, Yeah, to to, to pioneer and to unravel prohibition to a point where we could have an industry and have the opportunity for that voter initiative, Prop 64. Very important, yeah. For better or worse. Exactly. (laughs) To this day, still... uh, but this is across the map. You, you mentioned the corporate operators, and times right now are are very tough. It's like this perfect storm of glut, oversupply. What are your thoughts on the current state of the union when it, in regards to cannabis industry as, as in the market? Because it's not just in California. I mean, I think long it's term, everywhere. California is important, and California will be important when when Californians have the ability to do what they've always done, which is move their cannabis across the entire country, right? When yeah, that's a interstate commerce. Yeah, oh, huge. It's, and hopefully the people, like our even our goal as a company, Black Market Group, but the goal is to hope that the people running these farms are the people who started these farms, right? Because someone's going to be running them, right? We don't, in agriculture, we don't produce roses in every state that roses get sold or corn in every state that corn gets sold. Yeah. It's, you know, it's ag. It's optimized to regions. And the reality is southern Oregon and northern California from Santa Cruz on up is the best place to produce this plant at a, at, in the sun at a yeah. low fixed cost. You don't have to do all this. I mean, I, I worked in the hemp space for a while, and we were I was working with farms in Tennessee and Pennsylvania and places that are beautiful prime ag land. But, man, like fungal pressures from humidity – you know, soil drainage, soil quality, all these things become a factor that add increased fixed cost of production. You know, you just wow. we have these beautiful arid summers here. We don't have leaf septoria. <clears throat> if you take care of your plants properly, we don't have major, you know, root fungal pathogens because of, you know, we're dry here. Yeah, high and, and dry uh, in some spots. Yeah, coastal yeah, growing yeah. isn't as dry, but there's genetics no, for that. No, coastal growing isn't as dry. All y'all below 1,600 feet on the coastline are suffering from the need to perpetually spray for PM. But even that is manageable, right? Like yeah, even in the grape industry, it's been manageable. That's it. Well, there's cultivars. There's genetics. There's certain varieties that do better in the marine layer and certain varieties you should never grow in the marine layer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and even the plant itself is adapted. You know, when yes. I have this conversation a lot of times with people, where they're like, "Whoa, oh, sativa indica," and I'm like, "All right, you need to chill because we're not growing land races anymore. So, settle down. <laughs> what you're looking at is physical adaptations, and pre- everything's hybridized. You're looking at uh, physical adaptations to environmental pressures, right? A lemon doesn't smell like lemon because the lemon tree thinks that's dope. It smells like lemon because it keeps away bumps and fungus. And the cannabis plant does the same thing. It, it develops physical adaptations to deal with environmental pressures. And part of being a cultivator and, like, knowing your land and being a farmer is choosing the cultivars that, that suit your microclimate the best. You yeah, know, that's we, right. We, back in the day, the Mendo perps, that wasn't just random. It's because there's, like, a notch in the mountain range that shoots cool air up to that second, you know, at night. It cools off better there and nice. everything perps better. Just the colors. Did you ever grow Mendo perps? (laughs) Yeah. Back in the day. Perps were everything. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, perps were everything for a while. And they're back. Yeah. And they're back. You're right. And they're back. You couldn't sell anything purple. (laughs) There was 10 years they were like, please buy this purple weed. It's beautiful. And they're like, no, I don't want that. Just green. Wow, I didn't I realize it. Sweet. And now it's the flip. <laughs> now it's all per in these color. They won't touch anything. Don't they won't touch colors, the yeah. green weed, which is t- so sad because there's so much there, right? There's so much flavor. So much, right. <laughs> there's so many when we omit. It's just funny. What are your thoughts on that, how the things flip? I mean, it's just volatile markets that come in cycles or what? How do we get this thing a little uh, more it's a function of educated. market maturity, too. Yeah, we're nascent, right? Just too early. Well, I think there's. I think we're starting to get past. I mean, we, that's symptomatic of the fact that people actually want fruits and flavors now. Also, yeah. part of it is breeding. A lot of these flavors and fruits, they finally work the mercine out of them, which gives it that kind of pruno toilet wine smell that we didn't like, right? Sure. That oversweet kind of raisiny nose. 
Yeah. It took a while the moon goes out. So now we have clean fruits, right? Like we yeah. have these fruits that are like brighter, cleaner, nose, more crisp. There's always a gas back on them. Where, I think gas know, is every... important for with fruits. If you're going to have fruits, you need that, yeah, gas undertone because that's the foundation to move weight, right? Or, or do you think it's right? Sh- and it's not over sweet, and it's you know, yeah, that raisin right turp is a good thing to omit. That sweet mango mercine. I hear what you're saying. That's interesting. I never really thought. And it's I mean, sh- remember Gasparer was mixed with everything for the longest time, and that. Yeah. Nobody, you know. Yeah. Now, even now we're back on sweets. People still don't want that note. They don't want that. You know, shout out to Jack Herrera. We appreciate yeah. what you did. Oh, of course. The, of course. Yeah, Jack Herrera, the whole hair <laughs> family, but. Yeah, yeah, well, and the cultivar. Uh, it's funny though, but things come in cycles, like you mentioned with the perp. Uh, it's possible yeah. that that train wreck profile might come back. Who knows? We'll see. I, I, yeah, I like disgusting. Remember, I haven't come across something that smells like diarrhea and poop and shit. Oops, excuse me, poop. <laughs> <laughs> um, in a long time. Uh, you know those when you would smell it? Yeah. People would be like, oh, that's awful. Acrid. I got to smell that again. Yeah, or <laughs> acetone. Yeah, no, I, I found some Afghani from, from <clears throat> North on the One, some old school heads, old surfers growing some crazy Afghanis that, yeah, they were poopy diaper. But it's not really market it's just the market isn't ready for that. Um, it would be wonderful to have a more developed palate for the marketplace, too, so it's not just dessert cultivars all the time. Oh, she's coming on back. I love this discussion, though. I want to hear her opinion on... Welcome back. Welcome I back. am. Starlink failed me. Hey, you're doing good. You sound great now. I was just talking to myself for a while. That was pretty funny. I was like waiting for your response. I was talking about poopy <laughs> diaper like, weed. Man. Yeah. I yeah, was poopy like, diapers is where it's at. That's what I, I like was. That are disgusting. Yeah, me too. It's it's funny, but do you think the market would ever like that? Would de- do you think the market would develop a palette to have that diversity again? I think so. I think I right think now so we're too. in a phase right now where we have. People are really excited. It's like we all know that New York tends to drive the market. New York is is getting to the place where it's maturing, right? There was ten whole years where they would only take OG and sour. More than yeah, ten sour years. was like, everything for a while. Yeah, and OG everything. would just because sometimes call sour. Lovely. Yeah, the gas or chem. It's big. It's fluffy. It fills a bag. It looks nice, and it cuts through the flavor of a backwood. Oh, right? that's that was it. Like that's what they love. Yes. Yeah, you're right. That backwood People culture. still like that, but New York is now um, starting. But, we, you know, right now, the market is dominated, frankly, by a single tastemaker, you know, for better or worse. Cookies is really driving popular culture and popular, adapt, you know, adoption strains. And most folks who are developing, I mean, that's why what we do for Rakim's line is instead of taking some cultivar and renaming it as you know his his strain we're like no let's just be a curated collection of what's dope that's out there right now nice that's a good approach right as opposed to that yeah yeah and and curate the real the real work and and right like a tea buyer would traditionally or like any you know any of these kind of traditional roles yeah famous wine collections yeah it's it's all about the place and the origin and the cultivar and yeah it's important it's a craft yeah, I mean, you look at there's a winemaker up in Oregon in the kind of Yamhill region who does Pinots called Ken Wright, right? He doesn't nice. have a vineyard, but he goes around and he's like, all right, this is what's fabulous from this vineyard this year, and I'm going to blend it with from this vineyard on this year, or I'm going to do single source, you know, I'm going to yes. say vineyard, single source. And and that's, that's real, and that's workable, and that's long-term. Unless you're a market maker with the kind of resources like Cookies does to Fino Hunt on scale, which still feels a little bit like, Paul and Chucky to me, you know. It is all the whole. That's the funny thing about the cookie story is it's all happy accidents and lots but, of know, hype. So with our whole industry, our <laughs> true. Industry is all happy accidents. True, true. You're right. Yeah, talking about sour, I mean, talking about chem dog. Like, yeah, bad Dynasty seed. Genetics, like that guy, Professor P. Dynasty Genetics with Relic Seeds. That guy's a serious breeder and spends serious time on creating stability in his lines across the entire, like, um, you know, all of the all of the phenos within a single group are all workable and there's, like, a narrower profile, but that's not 
really common. There's a handful of breeders out there who do that. Um, and, and that actually started getting driven more by um, more commonplace driven by like the hemp boom and yeah, hemp seed production. The CBD rush, yeah. Right, and seeing uh, Oregon CBD seeds being Amazing. able to Seth gain Crawford, that yeah. scale. Yeah. yeah, that was I mean, pretty impressive breeding. Yes. Real I mean, field work. Uh, they definitely had problems. Like, they had pollen leak go into their lines. Like, they started to destabilize over time. I ran Light Dep on hemp since 2019. I think we might have been the first Whoa. people running Light Dep hemp and, and field you... level light augmentation. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And was there was there an ROI? Is that, it seems like a lot of overhead for hemp. Well, the whole goal of what we were doing um, then was, boy, this is the cheapest way to learn how to scale. Got right? it. Like, that was my whole – I mean, I also was on felony probation for trafficking, so I couldn't grow THC. Got it. Well. Wow. So you got into the <laughs> hemp. Hemp is the same I game figured, pretty much. I use this to learn. Yeah. Amazing. And so I developed <laughs> mechanisms for, for field level, for, like, scale, field level, cultivation, photo period control – I was playing with field-level flood lighting in ag lands. You know, in NorCal, there's light, significant light pollution controls, which I get because they're not, it's not agricultural land. But we were operating on ag land where, you know, your pivot lines for irrigation are all lit up anyway. So as long as you're not pointing a light in someone's house, it's fine. It's agricultural yeah. land. Yeah. It's exclusive farm use land. You live there, you know that, you know, the land smells like doo-doo and, and there's uh, lights. It's all about <laughs> ag, yeah, production. That's good. But, yeah, it's an interesting journey. <laughs> I love this space because it's so dynamic and so cerebral and so problem-solving, and none of the rules are written. Uh, so true. Yeah, I do love that, 100%. The community is interesting. It's stimulating, um, creative, yeah, innovative. Oh, there's so much to do still. Um, right. We yeah. don't have agronomic-scale studies. I mean, Cornell, yeah. Oregon State, um, uh Clemson, they've all engaged in some some research on the hemp side, but most cool. of that is like scale yield operation, things like that. You know, they can't touch anything with THC, and the goals are different. They're similar but different, right? Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, it's more industrial hemp. It's just kind of a different world that people learned that maybe, yeah, it's you got to be thinking about bigger. Yeah, it's a whole different scale, right? 80 acres. Um Bigger yeah, than but that. even with, with flower production, the one thing that was very validating to me and should be validating for all these beautiful craft operators that are still out there is, I don't care who you are, you cannot do more than five, maybe ten acres of flower production because there's the bottlenecks are insane. And the, la and the, labor, the labor bottlenecks are crazy. Like, where are you going to get 800 workers who are going to work for you? One for three weeks once a year. <laughs> right? <laughs> what about mechanization? Um, right, but then it's not flower production. It beats the crap out of it. That's just the issue with, so that's like the biomass. When we think about the hemp space, it's just all beat up. Yeah, biomass even... is different than flower production, though. That biomass right. production is oil production. Got it. And we're going to see a huge shift once we have, um, you know, there. some states allow this for the, the feds don't, but some states do uh, allow for the conversion of CBD to THC. California does not. Um, Oregon permits you to transfer material into the THC space. Like there's like a designation. Oh, I see from what you're MC. saying. So moving between but the markets. You can convert CBD into THC for oil purposes at like 80 something percent efficacy, relatively inexpensively and cheaper than it is to produce um than it is to produce in a regulated matter and then do that, right? So, like, I can grow 100 acres or 200 acres or whatever, combine, and, you know, accrue, extract, and then convert. What? Uh, wait, hold on. Let's just yeah. be precise. I know. You're talking about <laughs> – so, wait, you can turn cannabidiol into THC. into THC when it's already in, like, a crude oil form? Or what – can you go – yeah. this is news. I've never heard of this. No, there's been patents on it. There's three patents wow. on it, for like three-day even hemp production. There's a bunch of mechanisms, but the reality is, is that we recognize that they're very similar plants, and the plant does it anyway, right? Yeah, it's part it of does. That. Yeah, but it's like a genetic it's, profile. I feel like the hemp cultivars naturally are are focusing on one cannabinoid, but when and then of course, but they're molecularly similar. So I once see. you get an organic chemist in there, all you're doing is I, look. A wow. plant is a, a plant. Is a, is a chemical factory. 
Of course. All, all things aside, it's a little chemical factory. There's precursors. There's chemistry. It's a lab inside of a living creature. That's biosynthesis, right? All of these course. things produce unique chemicals. It's why a lot of biochemicals are the basis for a lot of contemporary medicine. That's right, and pharmaceutical it's, it's, application, yeah. So, so, so the, that conversion is just in the lab, and so you can grow 200 acres of hemp and then have all that distil, all that oil turned turned into correct. THC, and then you could but that's what, theoretically that's the go on the, the Boone's Farm grade, right? Got like, it. There's no uh, terpene constituents, so that means you're taking, you know, biological terp, you're taking botanical terpenes, which is fine because they're chemically identical. God. But it, that's not our craft, right? No, and, no. It's, a, it's so adulterated past that out, point. Yeah. It's not in competition. Just because Budweiser exists doesn't mean that Lagunitas can't, right? Yeah, 100%. And that's been proven in everything else. Yeah. So if we focus on our craft and we focus on educating consumers, on the difference between the two products and the experience, and the consumer continues to mature, craft will always exist. We just need to make sure that the operators of these businesses are the people who 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 were here and took the risk to start it. Amen. And that's building brands based on legacy operators. You know, my goal is yeah. to figure out how to pull a Cheetos with our line and be, you know, 2 to 7% of the marketplace. Because think about how many, if we built an entire industry or an entire brand that's based on that, and and we source it completely through craft operators. How many farms saved is that? If we're paying fair prices for product, and we're and we require that you know folks who work for those operators are making living wage jobs, like that's a that's the goal for us. It's important. It's important. You can really do, and that's good segue to speak to this um, to the brand. Speak to the, your journey behind the brand. We all like we all are familiar with. Pre Prop 215, or maybe even up till today, how California cannabis is a world class experience that is sought all over the country internationally. We have connections both north and south, and 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 then Santa Cruz too with the genetics, home of the haze. We have this uh, you know connection to Europe and Amsterdam and Skunkman Sam, and would love to hear about Black Market Group and this like this this journey, this brand. Well, when, when my partners and I were talking, like, and I'm kind of walking through this, I'm like, this is what I want to do. I want to build an affordable, accessible, high-quality brand. But nobody cares who I am, right? Like, I'm, I'm nobody, right? And that's fine. <laughs> but how do we, instead of building a brand from the ground up, how do we leverage folks who have existing IP, who have a platform, who have an audience? Because at the end of the day, this is consumer education. That's what this comes down to. All of us collectively need to educate the consumer and the difference between corporate cannabis and craft cannabis, both from an ethics perspective, right? Yes. How much are people who work at these operations getting paid? Yes. It's hard work. Um, is there upward mobility, all of that? And also just from a product perspective, you know, we, we know that outdoor, mixed light, and light depth all have a higher constituency of terpenes yes. in the plant. Yes. Yeah. Because, again, we go back to this thing that lemons don't become lemony for fun. They do it as a function of their environment to repel pests, and you need stress. You need environmental real, stress. To real environmental it. stress, yeah. Real seasoning right. with the elements and the and the terroir, the, the place, it's the why origin. It's why some of the procrastinatiest growers I know produce the best cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're so aligned with the with, with their land, too. That's a piece of it, is the essence. But you know, the, the ones oh, yeah. that procrastinate oh, yeah. this ones always have the best fun. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be around. You're so right. It's a funny truism. <laughs> it's part of this, like, dharma well, of the I'll cannabis space. I'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, get it tomorrow. I'll, I'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, that part. So, when we started looking for folks we wanted to work with um one of my good friends and one of our our minor business partners is a uh, and r and rap and hip-hop and works with a lot of classic folks and we ended up talking to cool. rakim who um you know is the god mc is like really influential in in hip-hop and rap in the birth of it and like the modernization of it you know really pioneered the internal rhyme structure elevated like lyricism and rap to like a, a whole nother level in the late 80s you know and is and understood instantly the importance of legacy. You know, I went out to his yeah. house and we had this conversation, and they were working with some other folks, and they just, you know, things hadn't come to fruition. They were talking about doing an indoor line. I'm like, listen, 
Like, you're all about legacy anyway. Like, people who built a thing deserve to have a place in it. And if you look at rap and hip-hop and the folks who were building this thing that is 80% of music sales and music revenue right now, the people who built it a lot of times don't own their masters, don't own their IP, are marginalized, are struggling. You know, folks who who put the time in, um, who are well-recognized, just don't even own their art anymore. And haven't. And, wow. you know, you had gatekeeping from corporate labels, and there wasn't this, like, democratization of hip-hop, like the SoundCloud era or self-promotion, self-production, right? The technology has really changed that for this space. And so you music had gen- Yeah, music industry in general, yeah. It's just different. But it's 80% of music revenues now. Wow, like, it's that's crazy. fantastic. That's and, crazy. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, that correlation between hip-hop and cannabis. It's But it makes sense. Right, and so saying this, he was like, oh, my God, I fully get that. Like, the people who came before are so important. It's so important to to, to make space and to honor legacy. I mean, um, even the guys like, like M1 and Umi from Dead Prez, they have some um, some dispensary art galleries in the city. One of them's called Legacy. Like, this is this is a real piece that connects these two things together. Wow. Right? That's like, great. I mean, beyond the normal connection between cannabis and hip-hop, because what has shaped cannabis culture more than than rap yeah. and hip-hop in our yeah well and, and good cannabis fueled hip-hop <laughs> truly yes from california <laughs> yes 100 every every tour had like the weed guy yeah on yeah it, you know? yeah no and music and cannabis is key it's the progression it's how we got cannabis all over the country is these tours whether it be from hip-hop to the grateful dead it's a f- yes. it's fascinating yeah, and so that, that correlation made so much sense, and it seemed like such a natural transition for us. So right now we're just in this stage where we're launching this in California and New York. Um, you know, we also have a product side that is um, from a hemp-derived side. It's Delta Delta 9, but hemp-derived. Wow. Because <clears throat> the, the hemp rules state that if a product weighs less than is total THC is 0.3% or less, then it's a, and it's derived from hemp, then it's a hemp product. And so, um, you know, the average edible weighs like five grams, right? That means I can put 15 milligrams of THC in a gummy legally, as long as it's manufactured from hemp-derived THC, not synthesized like we were talking about earlier, but just pulling, you know, through. The little bit. Right, yeah, because it's discard at the end of the day, you know, for most of these hemp products. Sure. The little bit, and, yeah. Yeah. But, but when you do it on scale. scale, that's what I was about to say. Is, yeah, a little bit at scale is plenty for THC. Anyone yeah. who's formulated edibles knows that a kilo of THC displit is a lot of edibles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so true. It's a lot. It goes a long way. So, yeah. We're talking about 70, 100,000 acres of hemp production at its peak, you know, uh, across the country. That You know, when you're talking about an average yield, of 2,000 pounds of biomass per acre, you know, 70% efficacy on both levels of extraction. You know, you're, you start to go, that's a lot of THC. That's a lot. Yeah, a lot. Amazing. So our goal was to market those products in state where there's no access to clean, safe, legal, and recreational cannabis. And then target our THC, you know, regulated products through the systems and the rest. And so, you know, pairing those two aspects together, we're just getting ready to launch into stores nationally, like convenience stores and things like that. But, you know, as opposed to being some of these kind of like sketchier brands, you know, we're taking the same approach that we take towards regulated cannabis, which is like, let's have complete clarity. Let's have complete testing. Let's test more than the requirement. Let's test for heavy metals. Let's test for all pesticide panels. Let's use California's testing standard. Let's create safe, accessible cannabis for folks because they want it. It's out, the demand is there, and if it isn't available easily, then it's available on the street. And we all know that it didn't pass in our industry because of contamination, abamectin and microbutanol and things like that. So that's a, that's cannabis for people. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And and I love the legacy piece. It's so important, and it brings that awareness. People vote with their dollars more, more yes. and more relevant right now. And so providing that that connection from the culture, the hip hop music history, 
uh, into these farms. I think it's fascinating. The hemp space thing, can you speak to that? The states with like maybe lack of access to like recreational THC cannabis markets there. Are we in that era yet? Uh, where I mean, the, hemp technically, is, hemp is te- yeah, it's 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 technically legal everywhere, but it's federally but legal. There are a couple states have have uh, written laws that say all hemp derived products have to have zero THC or no uh, effect. Okay, there's a couple states like that, but it is the vast majority of states. Uh, there was some news out of I think it was Minnesota lately, oh. where the the regulators they like uh, put this explicitly into law, right? The definition of hemp derived products. And then afterwards, they're like, did we just accidentally legalize THC edibles? And the answer is yes. Yes, in fact, you did. Oh, wow. (laughs) So the cat is out of the bag. You know, everyone, you know, there's no undoing this. This is a freight train. Cannabis is a freight train. Hopefully, when Fed legalization happens, it doesn't happen in a manner that layers more tax like the MORE Act. That's good. Funny they call it MORE because that's really (laughs) what it is. Really? Yeah. So, you know, and for the layman, what is this more act? This is the federal discussion, right? This is the one they're trying to get passed, but it just adds another layer of taxation. Yeah. Like that is not. It doesn't work. Listen, 80% of cannabis purchased in the United States right now is purchased from the unregulated market, despite the fact yeah. that seven out of every 10 Americans have live in a state with access to legal medical or recreational cannabis. Why? Well Why is that? Taxation? And the reality is there is a bit of a wholesale rejection of dispensaries and the dispensary model. Why are we in 2022 forcing folks to purchase things in person in a store with, you know, they don't like it. And oh, you're talking about e-commerce? Up part. Yeah. I mean, or yes and no. But I, oh, okay. Or yeah, yeah, any number of these sure. things. But the dispensary just... model is like even my grandmother, right? My grandmother just recently started smoking cannabis. Yeah, and now you know, she's 93 years old. Wow. But initially, my dad doesn't smoke at all, and he's like, "No, she loves dispensaries." <laughs> well, she's like six, eight months a year into her regular cannabis use, and she's like, "Absolutely not, I hate it." Can you get a dealer to come to my house? No I'm way. Like, Absolutely, I got you. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you're right. I think it is important to have options. Um, and to ele- I was on a call before this, speaking about elevating the merchant services potential b2b or b2c uh there's just a lot of room to improve as an industry we're still in this infancy stage in a lot of ways but this is also an opportunity um for for awareness and education and hopefully provoke some change uh we've had such an interesting trend of 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 lack of diversity and overregulation and overtaxation, <laughs> yes. we need to learn and our lessons. And too high of bars for entry. Yes, And exactly. when they lower the bar like what New York has done, they make it paternalistic as heck, right? New York's program, the first 200 dispensaries in New York City are funded. The, the real estate development is funded by the state, right? They build out your dispensary wow. for you. You have to have run a business. Yeah, but you don't get to choose where that is. Oh, I they see. They just assign you a dispensary, and you have to have run a business or be partnered with someone who's run a business that has shown a profit. Not doesn't have to be a lot, just shown a profit in the state of New York for two years. That is so paternalistic. It's unbelievable. That is paternalistic. You, you yeah. Yes. It's like, oh, you poor, disadvantaged, oppressed people. Like co-signer. We're going to build you out the dispensary and put it here, and we'll be your we'll be your weed daddy. Oh, my gosh. And it's like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. No, I hear it. I hear it. I mean, there's a lot of cautionary tales of legalization of what not to do. I think California is one. For sure. California is number one. Yeah. And you look at the reg that just passed uh, back in February amending the non-brick-and-mortar retail delivery. In the language of the bill and in the language of the new legislation is a, a wholesale acknowledgement that, uh, that the inventory caps, as they were, which is like $5,000, 3000 of which could be having not been pre-purchased, but that they can carry $5,000 of the project. They're bumping it to tens. Because in the language of the bill, they said there's no way for retail delivery operators to compete right now with the unregulated market, with the traditional market, who can carry infinity amounts yeah. of product. Yeah. Well, and well, if it was easier, and I feel like what we're talking about with the layers to entry and making it so prohibitive, I, there's just a lot of things there. If we could make it more enticing to come into the compliant market, I think people would. 
No one sits I'm working out on a forever. project that I can't really talk too, too much about right now. Got it. But okay. basically it's a digital platform that will allow uh, will allow us to fold folks in who want to be legitimized. That's and huge. that will extend them a mechanism for doing it and provide them product, you know, on front and things like that. Uh, to allow them to continue to serve their customer. Because, you know, a lot of people response to me saying that is, oh, they don't want to pay taxes. But if you've ever participated in the traditional market, you know that the street tax you and law enforcement tax you and the legal fees and the car seizures and the cash seizures and the harassments and the phone being taken and inventory being lost and people not paying fronts and this and that. Oh, 100%. That's why it's kind of – if you can make it enticing – People love the plant. People love their customers. Yeah. People love the their community. Dealers. They love their dealers. Of course, it's a relationship. It's it's it's, it's culture. It's a concierge. Yes. It is like the highest level of service. Somebody oh, who, when they make their inventory decision, thinks about you. Oh man, my regular custody who picks up, you know, two hundred loves this. Yeah, it's so so it's, it's important because there's that personal element. I imagine over time. You know, we will see what we've seen in in how we get our, you know, Amazon list, right? There's there, there will be a, an AI element eventually, but the, right now cannabis has this wonderful uh, person-to-person connection, that cannabis connection. It's so important, and if we can continue to steward that, uh, that's what really differentiates uh, the heads. It's so important, uh, and it builds this and community. And beautiful intersectionality, too. Oh, yeah. You Speak go to about... cannabis events, like real ones, not corporate ones. Sure. Like I was at the Emerald Cup Awards. Yeah, and I love it. you dress like a wizard there. And there's still a guy wearing a, you know, a, a three-piece suit with bud leaves with all over buds. it. With the buds, yeah, there's I know those guys. And white yeah. folks and yeah. folks and, you know. And it still looks like what our industry was. It's for the love you know, of the plant. Yeah. Yes. True love. I mean, some of my closest friends, right? Like one of my best friends, Vic Twins, who's one of my partners on a bunch of these projects from Infamous Mob and like grew up in Queensbridge houses in the projects in New York, the biggest project housing in yeah, the entire world. Yeah, for sure. Well, he and I wouldn't know each other if it weren't for this plant. That's so but cool. like, it's, you know, and that's, that's the intersectional piece of it. I mean, look at. I had this conversation on an interview I did, like, earlier this week. Look at January 6th. There were people smoking weed in the Capitol. Huh. Yes, I do not agree with anything that went down that day besides the fact that there were people smoking weed in the Capitol. But, like, that, this plant crosses every single barrier that there is that we all put up to put ourselves into different buckets. I'm in this Republican bucket or I'm in this Libertarian bucket or I'm in this super liberal bucket. And it unifies people. It's the most intersectional thing that we have in our culture, I think. It truly is. It, it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful way to connect with with so many people. The circle, right? The 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 the, the session, yeah. the smoke out. The, that's a, that's a consistent. No matter who you are, where you come from, uh, a head knows a head by the look of the eye. It's nice to come together in in session. Um, we've done that. It's so fun. It reminds me of. Playing music here in Santa Cruz and opening for groups from all over the world at Mo's Alley, and really they won't, Aww. you know, like they won't really talk to you until you start busting out the jar. And now we're all uh, playing <laughs> yeah. hacky sack, smoking joints, you know, and we're all friends instantly. But that's really what it takes sometimes is that that uh, that cannabis connection. It really brings people together. You're so right, and it hey, wins. Well done. <laughs> it, w- it wins in every election. Every election cycle, we're seeing cannabis come on top. Uh, and it, we need to continue that, that progression. I love how you... I mean, throwing it back to my grandma, who's 93 years old. So cool. Lady from, like, Long Island. You know what she <laughs> said to me somewhat recently when I finally got her, you know... And, by the way, the reason that she started using regularly, regularly because a doctor came to the building that she lives and talked to all the folks there and said, y'all should all be smoking weed. Wow, that's a cool doctor. All of you should be, yeah, it was that's great. That's long all overdue. I'm happy to hear that. Weed. It's fantastic for all of you. But she wow. said, you know what, I'm mad. She didn't say it as politely as I'm saying it on the Yeah, radio, sure, so sure. Said, I'm really job. mad that my entire life they told me that this is for, like, junkies and burnouts and bad people and criminals. And I have been on a mountain of sleeping pills my whole life. And now wow. I eat a couple gummies at night. And she likes Delta 8. I'll-
which is uh, yeah, a this, hemp-derived this, product. The hemp stuff. Yeah, it's so interesting. She really does, but she likes Delta 8, and she has got a little, and she actually has, like, a, instantly developed a very high taste, like a high quality. And also, she takes, like, 50 milligrams of Delta 8 at night and, like, 15 milligrams of THC. She's a wow, beast now. Wow, that's fantastic. But she'll only smoke live resin or live rosin. Because of the flavors. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> she's just bougie. She's like, I don't like the way other stuff makes me feel. Oh, and wow. My dad Good for her. And got her a new pen, and she called me up. Your father doesn't know how to buy weed. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, my gosh. It's great to hear these things, right? Like, yeah. it's so validating. Oh, she's got one masterful palate. She's already on her way. <laughs> no, she's like, I only smoke fresh frozen. That's <laughs> <laughs> been... Heck, yeah. <laughs> Of course you do. That's great. Of course you do. Yeah, because she's bougie about everything else. So yeah. Oh, that. yeah. That's fantastic. But, you know. No, it's huge. It's, it's, it is. It's big. And it's and it's validating to see the work of folks that came before me to who, who were in a way more uphill battle than me. This, is, this has come lately, right? Who's only – I was selling for a long time, but who's only came into the cultivation side, you know, within the last 10 years. You know, the the stories I hear, and it's heartbreaking watching people go out of business right now who in it's earnest really with sad. people. Yeah. You know, yeah. people who hid in the trees with babies feeding off their breasts. You know oh what I mean? Like these yeah, true warriors. Yeah, they went through true it. True warriors for the plant when it was really serious. Or the folks who sold cannabis in cities, all the black and brown folks who, who did oh, yeah. way collectively way more time than any any white cultivator ever did. So true. You know, so true. Over nothingness. And did so much to keep the plant alive in this draconian drug war. The prohibition was such a... It was wrong from the start, and yet the plant prevails. It did. I mean, in in nineteen early nineteen nineties, right? The three public enemies that we actually had, yeah. we had like Senate like hearings, congressional hearings about was rap and hip hop, right? Remember the parental That's advisory? That's so label? right. Yeah, that was a huge cannabis. Campaign. And skateboarding. Oh my god! And skateboard cannabis culture and, skateboard. and skateboarding's in the Olympics. You know, Supreme just sold so for big. how many billion dollars? Oh yeah, for sure. And well, look at Santa Cruz. That 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 yeah. NHS dot, the Santa Cruz logo. I go all over the world, and it's a skateboard. You know, it's it's everywhere. Right? Yeah, I was in Prague, and, these and were, I saw these that. These were the Santa public enemies. I, it's so true. You can't you can't keep them down. The people. Twenty five billion spoken. dollars this year in regulated sales in the cannabis space, and probably another wow. seventy five billion in the unregulated market. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's the piece here is we just need to help bring more more people in uh, or, or change. We have to change, obviously, responsive policy. Got to got to yeah. change these laws. <laughs> I mean, there's little the little victories. I mean, there's little victories to try to stay optimistic. We got to figure out how to speak to the regulators and say, cool. Yes. Do you guys want 34 percent? Of $25 billion, or do you want 15% of $100 billion? $100 billion. It's your choice. Let's do that. Right? Like, yeah, it's, well it's said. your choice at this point. That's it. If, if it's all about numbers for them, just frame it. We just got to shape the – it's all perspective. It's all how we communicate and organize, and we're getting better, but there's always so much work to do. <laughs> but since Prop 64 passed in California, a greater amount of cannabis in California that is consumed is untaxed than prior. Not True. untaxed, but from unregulated markets. No, you're right. A great percentage of people went to clubs and, um, you know, co-ops and uh, the dispensary model than now in 64. And now there's no patient access for tax-free medicine. Yeah, that's been wrong. decimated. The medical in every movement state was squashed by Prop 64. It's really barely alive. There's roots. There's still roots, but we have to think about. Yeah, maybe we need to make a shift back or some sort of – so in Oregon as well, so they lost their medical – Oh, community. they have absolutely decimated the medical system. That's it's so just, wrong. It's impossible to do. Without the patients, we wouldn't be here. I mean, without that right. – Yeah, Jack Hare, the advocate, Dennis Barone, Wham, Valerie Corral, Matt Corral. So, yeah. Uh, uh, Lawrence Rigo. Yes. Who died before he got to see CBD. Oh, I know. Huge, huge thing. Yeah, we were doing work – 
and we opened our shop, Kind People's Collective, in 2014, and he was like the only CBD option, and a lot of the CBD space was built off of the tsunami. So I was probably and, wholesale stolen their genetics from Southern No, Southern from Soham, Soham Seed. Yeah, I actually Ringo's farmed just, his property here. after he passed. That's so cool. Yeah, they. I know the, the year th- before I did, I moved into CBD space. I actually farmed his property, and wow. there were old Ringo's gift pheno trays all over the property still. That's cool. Wow, it is pretty amazing. That and is so pretty I amazing. Read, I worked with uh, Dynasty Genetics Relic Seeds Professor P. He had some of the original Ringos that he had been breeding the THC out of for a few years. We ended up sure. working with Ringo's gift genetics that we 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 worked diligently to get them into compliance on like scale field scale pheno hunt chemo hunting at that point um to, to the point where i now have like eight lines from that ringo's gift line that are virtually zero thc in them wow How um, cool. and our physios you know phenotypes are tight appropriate for for scale you know for scale operation for scale like light depth and things like that but yeah it's you know it, we're all of us are on the shoulders of giants yes Yes, well said. Always. That's it's and it's important to tell their stories, tell, you know, bring bring voice to the voiceless that were forced to be quiet because we were just in that prohibition for so long. And uh, I mean, that guy grew CBD when when he could still be rated for it and there was yeah. really no commercial value in it. No, true innovator like an angel just doing job works. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, all of the risk was there. Not a ton, but 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 he did provide the foundation, and those genetics helped so many people. I know collectives. We had such a strong culture of compassion in Santa Cruz County before the implementation mm-hmm. of Prop 64, and a lot of the really sick people that needed that medicine or the pediatric use for for neurological diseases like epilepsy or you name it. It was yeah. Ringo Genetics making those. Milagro oils or those full spectrum cannabis oils. It was a lot of Ringo's varieties and a lot of that work is it's like a masterpiece, right? It's like Divin, you know. Well, if anybody wants starts, they can hit me at Black Market Certified. I'm happy, free of charge to provide starts. Oh, that's fantastic! What a great. Let me know. That's so cool. Yeah, that's important. They grow beautiful flowers. I've definitely like worked on them for four years now. That's cool. And Chris did the work for another ten years before that on these two lines. So. Yeah, amazing, amazing. That was, and that's the culture, right? That was always the tradition. I remember the first time I visited um, Wonderland back in 2015, 2014, mm-hmm. and uh, just was checking out. I bought a couple of varieties that I had been looking for, but the CBD genetics, we were really stoked on them. Taking them back to Santa Cruz, it was all free. It was all free. Yeah. It was all love. They're like, oh, you're going home? Well, we'll take this one and this one, too. Right. Uh, spread yeah. the love, trying to get the good medicine out. And it really, I can't tell you how many people, because things continue, especially when you make a cross or we're talking about pollen chucking. <laughs> but it's preservation. Yeah. I, sometimes you do it just to have that mother yeah. preserves that you can bring her back next year. Uh, see what yeah. happens. Um, see what the well, and tissue culture is dope. Being able that to is. now leverage tissue culture Absolutely. because you can use mature plants. There's a lot that you can be done and, there. And where store you're not it. To... Yeah. And yeah. anybody who has like tried to clone a super flowering plant because they just really want to knows like fighting that senescence, that plant senescence, and its desire just to rot, die, and produce is so ha- yeah is. It's hard. And it's hard so to go against nature. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You yeah, you're like with messing it. with its biological imperative. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think of that line from um, my cousin Vinny, where she's like, "My biological cock is tick, 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 ticking." <laughs> true. It's true. Yeah. Mad at me. The lady's clock is is ticking. Yeah, so true. Yeah. It's in essence, messing it's with my biological. This is parent. not right. Yeah, this is not what I should be doing. <laughs> I noticed right. that. I noticed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, it's fascinating. How cool. What what a wonderful connection there with Lawrence Ringo and to go down memory lane and, and just be grateful for Oh, that. it's wild. Yeah. It's so wild to think that, like, when I was working there, I had no idea that, like, I was going to get pinched for, 
you know, some some tonnage in Pennsylvania yeah. and end up on paper and then end up being doing, you know, when I jumped into the hemp space, I was like, I guess I'll do this because I have no idea what else to do with myself now at this point. Yeah. No, I And I, it. you know, I wasn't going to risk, you know, I was on felony probation. I had every advantage in the universe, as you know, and privilege in the universe. I was able to pay my legal fees. I was able to pay all my, you know, lawyer fees. I was able to bail out. I was able to do all this stuff, but I wasn't willing to cultivate at that time because I was going to do 16 years if I violated. You wow. Know? So I, yeah, I jumped into the hemp space and by the end of that first year, I was like, Oh, this is a, this is my PhD program where my That's master's right. program before was, you know, working in Southern Humboldt and getting to learn about the plant from the ground up. This was how do we create scalable, uh, low touch, low cost solutions for producing like high mid market products. Nice. You know? Yeah, that's fantastic. It's always getting deeper into the craft too. I imagine you just learned a lot, especially with the CB. With the hemp market, is just insight alone is it's really invaluable. And and look at these products now are are coming coming to the to the people, providing that connection, like your grandma. It's amazing building that relationship. Yeah, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Full circle. I, you know, during COVID, we took up because, you know, all the folks that, who are older were really high risk. And so she like was home every single day. Yeah. Like, didn't really leave. It was really scary for her. And we ended up having like half an hour calls on the phone every day. Oh, it's and, fantastic. And it was, oh, it was wonderful. And a lot of it was talking about cannabis. And she's like, oh, really, <laughs> you know, interested in, and a believer now. You know, when I first started this industry, they're like, you left a good-paying job to live in your car in the woods. And I'm like, I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Cannabis called. You answered the call. Well, this is fantastic. Um, so in, in we ha we're almost to the top of the hour. I just want to make sure okay. you, you provide, um, you know, just give you an opportunity to talk directly to the people. And, and thank you again. This was a great conversation. Really enjoyed the show. And uh, I'm sure our audience did, too. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. I appreciate you. Community radio. I was going to say that, like, truly community radio is the backbone of these especially rural producing communities. Big time. You know, k yeah. Perpetually on my radio station, and I miss oh, yeah. the days of living. Give you a heads up, up too, if the <laughs> helicopters are coming too. Yeah. Uh, yes, they do. I still follow uh. K-Mut News <laughs> on everything. <laughs> just feel that jolt of paranoia when I'm yeah. hearing the sound. That's <laughs> <laughs> classic. <laughs> Nothing like feeling the need to run out and hide your license plate. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, folks can follow us at Black Market Certified on Instagram is probably the best way. And again, I anybody who's out there who wants access to zero THC virtually zero THC uh, Ringo's Gift Genetics, just feel free to hit me up, and I'll facilitate, figure out how to get you clones. I'm always happy to do that. Oh, but Black Market things. Certified will be coming to retailers around you. We're just starting to get going. Um, that's uh, Rakim's Higher Frequency Flower Line. Um, and we've got a ton of stuff. We'll be doing events, all sorts of things like that moving forward. But Fantastic. Well, congrats. So yeah, absolutely. It's been my pleasure. And it and uh, thank you for sharing the love with the with the good medicine and and the people and and elevating that higher frequency. I'm very excited to to see that hit the shelves. You've been listening to the Cannabis Connection. I'm your host Christopher Carr. Stay up, Santa Cruz. Have a beautiful weekend. Bye.